This is Dan Wharton Uncancelled. Let's go. It's time now for US media superstar Megyn Kelly. Sparking racial tensions and dividing society happens to pay. These days, at least that appears to be the case for the multi-million dollar Black Lives Matter organisation whose head honchos have been accused of buying a £4.5 million mega mansion in California with donation money for activists. Couldn't make this one up, uh, but it's true. An investigation by the respected New York magazine has revealed details of the lucrative purchase which BLM allegedly tried to keep secret. The whopping 6,500 square foot home has more than half a dozen bedrooms and bathrooms, lots of fireplaces, a pool, separate bungalow and parking for more than 20 cars. Pictures shared online show a trio of BLM leaders swigging wine and gorging on a posh picnic in the mansion's sprawling grounds. But panic bosses quickly deleted a YouTube video that featured the house shortly after New York magazine run their article. It isn't the first time BLM Matt, uh, BLM's uh, financial affairs have raised eyebrows. In May last year, their co-founder, uh, Patrice Cullors quit the group after it was revealed she amassed £2.5 million in a property empire just months after the organisation confirmed it took eye-watering donations worth £70 million the year before. Megan, this was quite an expose. Uh, reading it in New York magazine, I think maybe the line that struck me most is when BLM accused the journalist of racism... And he says, I'm black. I've had a gun pointed to my head before. You just couldn't make it up, could you? Nothing will save you from the allegations of racism. It doesn't matter. It, they don't care. <laughs> this is knee-jerk racism. You're a racist, yeah. too. Everyone's a racist. Anyone who attacks Patricia Cullors uh, is a racist. The, my favorite part of the story is the journalist got a hold of their internal communications oh, within yes. BLM once they found out that he was working on this story. And I'm sure they consider this a betrayal, not because he was black, but because it's New York Magazine, which is a very liberal publication. So the the Dem side was going to have to deal with this. You can't dismiss this as a Fox News hit job, right? So they find out that he's working on the story. And the internal communications that he was privy to, somebody clearly leaked the, the um, I, I can't remember if it was a, Substat. I can't. What, I can't remember the communication thing they used to talk about it, but somebody gave it to him, and they talked about how we've got to kill the story. Can we kill the story? Our angle needs to be deflate ownership of the property. Like maybe it wasn't us. Maybe it was somebody other than BLM. Then they go on to say, okay, here's what we could say. We could say this is part of a cultural arm of the organization, meaning BLM, um, like potentially as an influencer house. This is where we, you know, we do you know important things with our influencers who are going to change the narrative on BLM. And then they say, um, well, no, no, no. How about it's a safe house? It's a safe house for leaders whose safety has been threatened. And then somebody realizes, quote, holes in security story. We use in public YouTube videos. <laughs> they use the home as you show. <laughs> oh, whoops, you can't say that it's your safe house when you're broadcasting it to millions of people. And the other thing is this Patrice Cullors, who's gotten the $3.1 million of homes for herself. We don't know where that money came from exactly. Um, she she was using it up to the very minute. She was basically forced out as a, as a leader of BLM when it was disclosed that she made herself a millionaire, presumably off of those relationships. And um, so she was forced out. And right before she was forced out, she decided to do some cooking. She, she started releasing Patrice 
Patrice Tries videos, Dan, where we got to see her try to make a recipe in the beautiful marble kitchen of the BLM home that the donors paid for for $6.3 million. Presumably not to advance the cause of the organization. I don't know why BLM donors need to see Patrice cook a recipe she's never made. But this, you have to zoom out and look at the problems of BLM um, through a, a wider lens. Because what we have here is an organization that clearly has three women running it who, at best, do not have their eyes on the ethics, the, the rules, the tax rules, the accounting rules, or the overall appearance of propriety for their organization. That's giving them every benefit of the doubt. At worst, you have people who may have committed criminal acts running what more and more is appearing to be a fraud, at least in part, taking in $90 million in 2020 alone through small individual donations. That doesn't include the corporate donations, Dan, which we don't know how big those are. Can you imagine in post-George Floyd, the number of donations they got from the Nikes mm -hmm. of the world and all these woke corporations trying to pay their insurance to organizations like BLM so that they don't come after them in the press. Um, so they have a huge coffer of dough. And what we're seeing right now is we don't know who's running BLM or where any of that money is going or has gone. We only know that Patrice Cullors, one of the now former leaders of it, has spent millions of dollars buying herself up homes and paying, for example, her ex-boyfriend, who's the father of her child, a bunch of dough for various, I don't know, conferences he organized for her, He some other charitable organizations she allegedly is connected with, like getting people out of jail early. Um, conferences in Malibu at luxury resorts, getting her $20,000 a month from one of the organizations. She's paying her ex-husband to run, right? So everyone's in bed with everyone financially. Um, and there are reports out earlier this year, including from the Washington Examiner, that we don't know, just to get specific, okay, mm. we don't know who's in charge. We don't, the address they no. have on their tax forms is wrong. Um, two board members won't say who controls the between 60 and 90 million dollars in in the coffers in the bankroll um they the two activists that patrice colors appointed to the board as she was leaving saying okay these are the two who are going to run it say they never took the job that they they don't actually work for blm so we so as far as i can tell we've got two people on the blm board right now the one guy has been running around covering up for Patrice. He's worked for Patrice on all these other organizations. He's, I think, their treasurer. So you can see how incestuous it is. They're under investigation, Dan, in eight states. Uh, it may have gone up to 10 now because two other states, I think it was Washington and California, threatened personal liability mm. against the BLM uh, individuals for mismanagement of funds. Their charitable organization status has been revoked in those eight states because they recognize they haven't filed the proper paperwork. They haven't disclosed where the money's going or gone. And now you cannot donate to them in those states. And even BLM was forced to take down its charitable giving like, button and sort of link on its website, lest the alleged fraud continue. <laughs> That's where we are right now with this organization. And Megan, is the US media outside of New York magazine starting to talk about this? Or is it still, we can't question the BLM movement? That's what it is. We can't question them. We can't. Because, of course, that will undo the entire lie that is behind the BLM movement, that we are a racist country that has racist cops everywhere, who, as LeBron James suggested, are literally out there hunting innocent black men every day. It's a lie. 
And it was a lie that was exploited during an election year to get Joe Biden elected president. And then they took aim at police departments across this country. And now we're facing a crime wave like we haven't seen in some 40, 50 years. And all these police departments are now getting refunded in many cases in greater dollars, dollar amounts than prior to the defunding in the first place. It was a colossal error. And the worst part of all of this, the worst part of all of this, of this alleged grift that Patrice and these other BLM so-called leaders have committed is the people who really have been hurt, yes, by police in some circumstances, but more often by criminals in their communities are black and brown people in America who saw their cops taken away, saw the crime go up, saw family members die, saw the donations from good-meaning people who actually thought, well, I would like to help people who are suffering from injustice, go not to the people who might need it, not to the family members of people who were unjustly hurt by some cops, but to these three, the leaders like this, who are sitting in the $6.3 million house with the 20 parking spots and the pool and the soundstage and you know doing videos about recipes. It's, it it it's has the appearance of an enormous fraud. Yeah, well, look, I've always thought that this organization uh, was crooked, certainly morally crooked, and now, as you say, allegedly, maybe financially crooked too. Megan Kelly, of course, the host of the Megan Kelly uh, Show podcast on Sirius X FM, uh, YouTube, and podcast. And Megan, very excited to say, I'm going to be with you on Friday. So that's clearly going to be must listen, right? It's going to be exciting because tomorrow I'm getting LASIK on my eyes. I've been wearing my glasses all week. I can't really see you very well. I took them off for the hip. Oh, wow. And so when you see me, I'm going to have sunglasses on because I I haven't been able to see anything. (laughs) It's going to be bright. Oh, surgery. Wish me luck. (laughs) Yeah, we're in the dark on Friday, but that will be great. Well, good luck. And I hope I speak to you very healthy on Friday. Hope I see you next week. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Megan. And of course, both sides of the story here on GB News. So in a statement, Black Lives Matter said the mansion was bought with the intention for it to serve as housing and studio space for recipients of the Black Joy Creators Fellowship, adding they had always planned to disclose the house and legal filings this May. Now, anyone with any sense could predict that unnecessarily chaining school doors shut would inflict huge damage on our children's education, development and future. Sadly, none of those people were in Westminster. And the fears of folk like me who passionately fought against sacrificing education in the name of COVID were realised this week after a devastating Ofsted report laid bare the shocking effect lockdowns had on kids. The report found a generation of young children are now struggling to crawl, talk, share, make friends and use the toilet independently because of draconian lockdowns. Ofsted's Chief Inspector of Schools, Amanda Spielman, said, We found delays in young people's speech and language. We found some of the younger children were having difficulty interpreting facial expressions, which hinders them developing social interactions and social confidence. We found children were less good at taking turns and sharing and self-care skills. All the things children need to learn to look after themselves and develop their independence. Those also are somewhat delayed for many children. This obviously has a big knock on into their readiness for schools. Now, Steve joins me now. Steve, as the founder of the Oasis Trust, uh, which runs 52 academies in England and educates more than 31,000 pupils, you must know firsthand the damage that 
this Ofsted report spelled out in really shocking detail? Uh, absolutely shocking. I think that's a, uh, the word to sum it up, Dan. I think we all knew this was coming, as I think you've already said in your introduction. I mean, it was bound to happen, and it seems like nobody wanted to know about it. It was uh, six months ago or so, wasn't it, when Sir Kevin Collins, who was appointed as the catch-up czar by government to look into this, said that we needed to invest some £13 billion in, uh, in providing the support and mental health care that kids needed. But that was rejected by government, if you'll remember. Uh, £1.3 was made available, and Sir Kevin resigned at that point. He resigned because there was no way forward for him because no one was listening. I mean, today, the, the extraordinary thing is we've, as, you, as you've just been talking about, we've raised national insurance tax mm. to pay for the gap on the NHS and social services. But the reality is, unless we deal with this issue that Amanda Spellman has set out for us now, we're going to have to raise income uh, uh, national insurance again or find other taxes because the bill to the state, let alone the social consequences, life chance consequences for these young people, is going to be huge. Steve, I want to rewind back to March 2020 when the decision was first made, this unprecedented, quite extraordinary decision to effectively close schools. I know some remained open for uh, the children of key workers, but effectively schools were closed for the vast majority of students up and down the country. In your opinion, was there an alternative? I think that it was a, it was a complex issue. Uh, the thing I would say, Dan, is that when Oasis has shut schools, we we've kept our schools we kept our schools open through the lockdowns for vulnerable kids and the children of uh, uh, key workers, as you say. But we did our utmost to keep all of our schools open all the time. But there were occasions when we had to shut the school, or we had to shut some year groups down. But on every single occasion, that was to do with the fact that you just couldn't staff it. You couldn't staff it. So all of those shutdowns through uh, these last two years that you've heard about in the press, they've never been because there weren't enough kids to come to school to educate. You reached the point where COVID had rampaged through the adult population and you just couldn't open a school safely. So I think it was a, it's a bigger societal issue. If you remember, um, some of us uh, campaigned <coughs> long and hard for all teachers to be vaccinated at the head of the queue along with NHS workers and that was turned down and turned down and turned down and that's what led to the closure of schools so it was a bigger issue than what was just what was happening in schools been very critical of the teaching unions over the course of the past two years because I felt like a lot of times they actually wanted schools to stay closed Am I being unfair? I, I think, Dan, um, you know, there are a whole number of teaching unions and they took different views at different times. I think that all good teachers everywhere, they wanted their schools to be open. I mean, we, we have some 6,000 teaching staff mm. and, and they're members of different unions, some not members of unions at all. But genuinely, I can tell you, you know, uh, without any 
form of exaggeration that they longed for the schools to be open but they were also concerned about their own safety that's the thing and i think that's what some of the unions were saying but it, it was that case when schools shut they shut because there was no one left to teach and um i think teachers were concerned about them about their kids and uh, they were concerned about their families too if you're living with vulnerable people you don't want to jeopardise their lives. Steve, you're now backing the Us For Them campaign's call for the terms of reference for the COVID inquiry to include children, because outrageously at the moment it does not. No, that's bizarre, isn't it? Why? 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 Why is that? Why aren't we listening to the very children that Amanda Spillman tells us today are struggling? Why aren't we listening to the kids who are, who, who's whose sense of confidence has been shattered. I was talking to uh, one young man in one of our schools just a few weeks ago. He's highly intelligent and I've known him since he was three or four. And uh, he is now, uh, this year, gonna sit A-levels. But he tells me that he just can't do it. He tells me mm. that he doesn't wanna get out of bed in the morning. Now this kid, you know, he's Oxford material, he's Cambridge material but he's lost all his confidence, he's anxious. I was talking to another mum just two weeks ago who told me her daughter, who's due to sit A-levels, won't even leave her bedroom. Won't even leave her bedroom. So, so we've got ourselves in this mess and we've got to invest now in the lives of these young people or society will pay for it, as yep. well as these kids and for the years to come. We have to make sure this is never repeated. Thank you so much. That was the founder of the Oasis Trust, Steve Chalk, giving evidence to our lockdown inquiry. It's time now, Frank Anselt. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. At long last, there was some sanity from Boris Johnson today after he stepped up to finally give a proper answer on the trans debate. I don't think that uh, biological males should be competing in female sporting events, and, and you know, maybe, I'm, maybe that's a controversial thing to see, but it just, it just seems to me to be sensible. And uh, I also happen to think that um, women should have spaces which are, whether it's in, in, in hospitals or prisons or change rooms or wherever, which are, are dedicated to, to, uh, to women. But despite the Equality and Human Rights Commission this week confirming it's justified that trans people can be excluded from single-sex services such as toilets and changing rooms, woke NHS chiefs are determined to push back. After publicly criticising the guidance, health service bosses called the decision transphobic and unlawful. And they even demanded NHS employees ignore the EHRC ruling. Rod Little... What do you make of the NHS reaction to this? Well, well, I think other than the NHS reaction to this, it's the rarest of things, Dan. It's a good news story. Because it, yes. it seems as if suddenly, yeah. that suddenly after so long, the Conservative Party and our liberal elite in the uh, 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 Equality and Human Rights Commission are suddenly seeing through this epic delusion for what it is. Uh, so, so we should all kind of bang our saucepans together in gratitude. Yeah, uh, let's celebrate yes, the good right. first. It was a good day for Boris Johnson, wasn't it? You're right. Let's start with the positive. 
Yeah, it was a good day. It was good to hear Boris Johnson saying something which, firstly, he certainly has thought for the last 30 years, and which I suspect 95% of the population of this country have been saying to one another as this insanity has continued over the last 12 years. Uh, because Boris also said, echoing a court case of two years ago, that children were too young to decide whether or not they should have uh, invasive uh, medical treatment in order to enable them to change sex. And that was exactly the view of a high court two years ago. So I, it's kind of the ducks are beginning to line up uh, against the, the unscientific, unrealistic and deluded beliefs of the transgender lobbyists. And I have to say that there are many, many transgender people who do not remotely agree with the stuff which their uh, increasingly shrill lobby demands and would go along pretty much with what Boris Johnson said, which is that you could transition, uh, as Germaine Greer once once put it, as I mentioned before, uh, the doctor can give her a cocktail of drugs to turn her skin brown and give her some long ears, but she is not a cocker spaniel. You know, it, it, that that is the truth of the matter. The, the reaction of the NHS is pretty much as you might expect. Uh, I noticed that one of the leaders uh, of, the, of the sort of kickback against uh, what, what uh, the EHRC, uh, the, uh, the EHRC were, were doing uh, was a woman, and I use the word in a very tentative sense, called uh, Tara Hewitt, who is the boss of actually my local uh, uh, health service, uh, uh, the equalities boss of my local health service up here in Durham. And I don't think it's stretching it too far to say that I think I think it's likely that Tara was not given the name Tara at birth, but was probably more likely called Tony or Tom or something. Uh, and she or he has made a number of damaging statements about how this is transphobic. It's not transphobic. What it's doing is sticking up for women's rights, which is the most important thing. The rights of women to compete, for example, uh, uh, to compete in sporting events, the rights of women when they're in a ward in a hospital to feel comfortable in that ward. Uh, and we have had cases in the past where uh, women who have complained about uh, being in a ward with a transgendered patient uh, have been reported to the police for offering those complaints, which is an absurdity, Dan. And you know, well, you know and it's, it's especially an absurd, isn't it, Rod? Given that there has been a rape as a result of this policy. That's right. Well, there's been at least one rape, and this is the most chilling thing about it. When this particular rape occurred, uh, and it was a rape carried out by a transgender man, and he was a man, <laughs> uh, uh, who was in a woman's ward because he identified as a woman, and he raped a patient on that ward, and when the police investigated, the uh, medical staff said, no, it can't possibly have been a rape because there were no men on the ward. Because this chap identified as a woman, they didn't class him, uh, classify him as a man. And yet he was a man. He had all the bits of a man. He is a man. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And so it was only when they used CCTV uh, and got a few more interviews in that eventually the medical staff were forced to conclude, ah, oh, yeah, maybe, sorry. You, you know, it is an absurdity. And the terrible thing is that, as I say, you know, I think 95% of the country knows it's an absurdity and always has been an absurdity and a delusion. Um, and that is not to say that, tr that transgender people shouldn't have lives of dignity, of equality, and free from discrimination. We all agree with that. And I, my sympathy goes out to those of them who've struggled 
uh, you know, feeling unsure about what they want to be in their bodies. But it still does not alter the simple fact that a woman is born a woman with a cervix and with the right chromosomes, and otherwise they are not women at all. Mm. We're just in such interesting times, aren't we, Rod? Because, yes, there are trans women who have struggled for years and years and years, and as you say, I, I have uh, great sympathy. Then we have cases of, for example, the, the, the Tory MP who, who says one day, I now identify as a woman, I am a trans woman, but is walking around in Parliament as a man. I mean, it, it, or, or at least appearing as a man and saying that we should still refer to him as a he. It, it's, I just wonder if we're starting to undermine, Rod, some of the trans women who have had genuine battles to get to where they are. No, I don't think we are at all. I think it's the opposite to that. I think that there will be enormous public sympathy for people like that MP and for many of the other people who've, who've, who've transitioned, a very, very, very tiny number, by the way, uh, you know, who have transitioned. Mm. Uh, I think we would have more sympathy with them um, uh, in general if it wasn't for the, the howl round of lunacy which accompanies the demands that they wish uh, they wish to impose upon us um, uh, uh, the necessity to defy logic, rationality and science by accepting that they are as authentic women as people who are born a woman. And that simply cannot be allowed to continue. Incidentally, can I just say, Dan, mm. I'm totally with, Amanda, with the lovely Amanda on divorce. Um, uh, if, if I can just chuck that in for a second. Why is that? Um, and why is that? Well... For me, the most important thing are the children. Uh, I, I, and I think, as you said, that I think that, that, a, that a quicker divorce settlement will uh, make divorce more likely um, and make marriage less of a lifetime thing, less of a thing that you're in there for, for the whole, whole gamut, for the whole length. Uh, but it's also for the children, because every single social study, longitudinal study that I have seen has shown that children are best brought up with their genetic parents who are married, not living together, not stepfather and, 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 and uh, step, stepmother, not single mum. It's genetic parents who are married. Those are, those, every single report shows that those are the cases where the children do best in life in terms of outcomes. Fewer mental health problems, fewer employment problems, fewer problems at school, better qualifications, better job prospects. Always the same, even when you waited for uh, finance and economy. So, no. Amanda, I'm with you, my darling. Thank you, Rod. Brilliant stuff. Thank you, Rod. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News.